Welcome to the BASAC View. We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, and this is an educational podcast about consent, self-healing, and keeping yourself safe. Join Kayla and Michelle as they maneuver their way into all the topics you hate talking to your kids about. Sex, puberty, body safety, growing up, and most importantly, power in no. Because consent is mandatory. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode seven of the Basic View. Kayla here with my PIC, my partner in crime, Michelle. Michelle, how you doing? Doing great. Hello, everybody. So what is the topic today? Today, we are going to talk about dating. Dating after sexual assault, dating someone who has been sexually assaulted, because both of those are challenges, right? It's something that they struggle with, people who have been sexually assaulted, you know, or even being, even wanting to be in an intimate relationship. It can be a challenge. But it's totally understandable, right? Yeah. We have to be aware that someone who is going through sexual assault is going through one of the most traumatic experiences ever, right? And I mean, think about it. You've been violated in such a frightening way that just basically rips you down to your core. There's no other way to describe that. And that trauma really has no expiration date. I mean, we can heal and we can move on and we can be feeling really good about everything. But then out of the blue, something can trigger you and it brings it all back up again. Maybe not to the intensity, but it brings up, you know, some sort of emotion, some sort of anxiety over it. And I think it's just important to say that sexual assault is not ever something that should ever define you. It doesn't define you. It does not. It's not something that means you are too broken or you're too wounded to heal from, Mm -hmm. right? It's still something that every single survivor will work through at a different pace. Everybody's healing journey is differently and there's no right or wrong in that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Survivors go through all kinds of phases in their healing, right? They go through the fear, the disgust, the shame, that rage, the anxiety, you know, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. And then we have even more shame and upset for not healing as fast as others think we should. Others agenda. Totally. Others agenda. And, you know, crucial in the healing process is finding a therapist who is a good fit for Mm -hmm. you. And... People are usually surprised how long it takes to find the correct therapist. Sometimes it takes seven, eight, nine, ten visits to a therapist to find one that suits you. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay if it takes you that long. Keep looking. Right. I know that so many think that talking to a therapist will just bring it all up again and be horrific and super traumatic. But with a therapist, a licensed therapist close by, you're, you're going to heal faster. Right. You're going to heal faster. You'll have tools and strategies to get you through your healing process. Yeah. Because it is, it's a challenge. It's difficult at times. It's something that we don't necessarily want to face or talk about, but it's necessary. And of course, that's one of the things that we do here at BASAC, right? At the Sexual Assault Center. So if anybody is in need of counseling service... Reach out to us, right? 306-445-0055. Because counseling is a great step toward the healing. It's a great step to moving on to a future that doesn't seem so scary. 
And then you don't feel so alone, right? You've got someone who has got your back. You've got someone who's going to listen to you. You've got someone who's going to give you strategies, right? No one ever wants to feel alone in something like that. The good news is there is always hope at the end of the tunnel after sexual assault. It may not feel like it, but the more steps you take towards helping yourself to heal, it becomes just a little bit easier to lead a more fulfilled life, to create a more fulfilled life. It gives you more confidence to open up to the idea of an intimate relationship, which can be so scary after you've been sexually assaulted. And it needs to be said, you guys, not everyone goes through the same healing process. We said in the last episode that healing is not linear, right? Mm -hmm. Some people, some people act out after being sexually assaulted. And by that, I mean being sexually promiscuous and whatnot, Mm -hmm. right? They think that they have to use sex to be approved or even liked. Others turn off from sex hard and fast. They do not allow anyone to touch them. So it varies. You have different kinds of healing. You have different kinds of behavior after an assault like this. And every survivor heals in a different way. We have to be clear on that. We have to let people know that every survivor heals in a different way. Safe to say, though, it does affect everyone mentally and emotionally. And oftentimes that damage, you guys, it's irreparable. Absolutely. Right? There's a there's a loss of trust. And that can show up in future relationships. Especially if the person who violated the survivor was someone they loved about and care about. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you lose that sense of trust. Right? There can be a loss of intimacy of letting people get too close in case they find out what has happened. And it doesn't have to be a sexual partner or or, um, a romantic partner. It's just you don't let people get close to you because you don't want anybody to find out. Right? When someone is sexually assaulted, there is a loss also of feeling in control. They may feel powerless. They may be unable to be assertive or to stand up for themselves. Or it may go the other way. And they try to control every single situation in their life, right? So it can go opposite sides of the spectrum. For sure. For that. And again, that sexuality, they may act out or they may withdraw from being sexual at all. Sex can be painful for them. It can trigger memories. It can trigger, um, you know, certain thoughts and fears and anxieties. And that can cause them to shut down again. Completely shut down. Survivors might use sex as a way to control situations or or mm-hmm. as a way to gain power or approval or affection. Right? They think they have to put out in order to be loved. Absolutely. Especially when the survivor was a child when it happened. That's a whole other ball game because yeah. their view of sex is totally skewed right at that point. Absolutely. When, when you're sexually assaulted as a child, it changes everything, right? There's that loss of innocence, which is kind of sad. It's extremely sad, yeah. And imagine having to dance your way around what you've learned about sex as a child, right? That sex can be violent. It's something to be shamed about, right? You feel powerless. Sex, Sex makes you feel helpless, weak, submissive. So if that's all happened to you, then try to imagine making sense around being in a loving and committed relationship. It's not always easy to do. Because, because again, your view of sex is skewed. So what can a survivor do to feel safe enough or even confident enough to start dating again? Because even if the trauma happened a very, very long time ago, 
can still pop its ugly head at any time. Anything can be a trigger. Mm -hmm. A sound, a smell, a word, a phrase, anything can be a trigger. Yeah. You know, I think, I think something, the first thing that survivors need to do is to focus on that healing, right? You have to heal those deep wounds. You can't keep burying your emotions and your feelings because they will just actually show up somewhere in your life as a sickness or as a, you know, anxiety, headaches, that sort of thing. Right. And they'll keep showing up until that healing is done. So yeah, before anyone plans on dating, you, you have to deal with all that chaos in your head, right? All that turmoil. Because if you don't, that trauma could sabotage you in ongoing relationships, right? It may prevent you from moving forward because it's just going to rear its ugly head again. It's just going to keep showing up and showing up and showing up. And next thing you know, you're, you're in a pattern that just doesn't quit because you haven't done the healing. And I think it's important to say that getting assaulted is never the survivor's fault. They're not responsible for what happened to them. But what they are responsible for is their healing. Mm-hmm. Right? I know it doesn't seem fair, but... Sometimes survivors bounce from one relationship to another, hoping to find that special person who's going to take all that pain and anguish away. Mm-hmm. Right? Someone who completes them. Someone who's going to give them that peace that they're seeking. Right. But that peace doesn't come from anybody else. No one can do our healing for us. It usually ends up just being a temporary fix because those feelings haven't been dealt with in the first place. That's right. And, you know, the ways to get that healing, that's going to be different for everybody, right? Some people, talking to a counselor is the way to go for them. And that is a great way, and I highly recommend that way. But some people like to go and get some energy work. You know, like some Reiki or something like that as well. Some people have to go the route of hypnosis. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that because there are so many avenues that you can consider. And any step you take towards finding peace should be applauded. Yes. Right? Because it's not a fun road. It's not an easy road. But it is something that you can work towards and you should work towards before you consider dating again. So... I do a bunch of different modalities as well, the Reiki and uh, reflexology and bars and all sorts of things. And the one thing that I have noticed is that survivors may not enjoy being touched. I mean, who can blame them, right? Because for them, the touch has been painful. The touch has been scary. Uh, Touch has been intimidating, right? So... Another thing that I would recommend is to start allowing that touch, which is really scary. Totally. Right? But it could just be, you just start to let someone you trust hug you. Right? Or it could be going for that massage and just getting used to having somebody's hands on your body in a safe way. Right. You know, something like Reiki, the energy work is a little bit less intense as a massage, but it's still, you know, the laying of the hands type thing, right? So you need to start to feel safe being touched. It's got to start somewhere, right? So that when you find somebody you decide that you want to be intimate with, you're used to you're used to touch. Again. It's, it's scary, though. The trust is hard to find sometimes. It's so scary. Survivors also have to learn to trust their bodies again. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you don't, right? The one thing that can happen during assault is that the survivor might detach from their bodies, especially when they're children. I guess not necessarily, but you know, if the abuse is happening over and over and over again, then you you learn to detach. You disassociate sort of from your body because it's too horrific to stay present, right? And so if the assault happens over and over again, that detachment becomes your safe place. And it becomes a conditioning that you do in lots of different scenarios and that sort of thing. So, you know, people, whether you've been sexually assaulted or not, I find that society, we tend to live about two feet in front of our bodies because we're always so busy. We're always on the run. We're always looking for the next thing, right? Or... We're not present in our bodies because we actually don't like being in our bodies. It's too painful, right? We're too fat. We're too ugly. We're too short. We're too tall. We're too shy. So we could all take a little bit, a lesson of learning how to be present in our bodies. But um, detaching is very commonplace, like I just said, but especially more so for assault survivors. Being in their bodies may not be pleasant at all. And so they have to learn to trust themselves again and to trust their bodies. So for that, I might recommend some yoga mm. or some Tai Chi. And why I pick those is because they're slow moving. And I used to teach, ta- well, I've taught Tai Chi and yoga. So, and that, it just helps us to stay present in our bodies for longer periods of time, right? And to slow down. But having said that, you know what else is really good? Zumba. Dancing. Because dancing can allow you to be more present in your bodies, which just helps you to reclaim them, right? And you, 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 there's just something about that Zumba that makes you feel a little bit powerful and in control. And right? working out in general is kind of powerful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It helps us feel powerful in our bodies. It helps us feel strong and it helps us sweat out some of those stored yuckiness mm-hmm. that we tend mm-hmm. to keep buried in our bodies. Yeah, for sure. Meditation, of course, is always good too. Going for walks. Mm -hmm. Mother Earth is a great healer. And say thank you with each step, you guys. That keeps you present. Yep. Learning to love yourself is something that we all need to do. Because how we love ourselves is how we teach others to love us. That's huge. And some of us, survivor or not, we're not very good at loving ourselves. (laughs) We have a lot of work to do in that department. I have a lot of work to do in that apartment. Yep. I think most women do. Department. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there are other things that I would recommend for survivors who are considering dating again. Don't use those dating apps. Oh. You know, get rid of them, really. Because you can't control who's going to be messaging you. You can't control what they're going to say. And that could easily trigger a survivor. Oh, very right? easy. Right? I have never personally been on a dating app, but I have friends who have, and some of the things that are being sent to them or being asked to be sent or just being said, it's, it's, I feel bad for people who have to. It's stressful. Like I, I too have seen some of that and it's, it's stressful and toxic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I also know friends who have met their forever for spouses on dating apps. So I know it goes both ways, but I think if you're just starting out and you're just putting out those feelers again, the dating apps are maybe not the necessary way to do it. Way to do it. Right. You don't, you want to start slow in the more traditional way, which 
is a little bit hard right now, <laughs> right? Because we're not really allowed to gather, but I think then we can use this time for more healing. Well said. Right? If we're not getting out so we can journal and we can talk and we can walk and learn to love our bodies and trust our bodies and to trust ourselves again, because there's also a little bit of that. What did I do wrong? What did I do to attract this? This was my fault, right? We, we take the blame for the sexual assault and um, we need to learn to let that go because it's never our fault. And not to mention, there's really no one way to navigate through the trauma that a survivor experiences. And no one way is right for everyone. Right. Everybody's path is different. Mm -hmm. Working their way through the fear, the disgust, that anxiety and that rage, the pain that we talked about, it can take a really long time. A long time. Yeah. But with the tools and some counseling and maybe a little bit of meditation here and there, and with some good supports, it's comforting to know that there's hope and there is hope. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily people... They don't want people to know what happened to them, right? And so you don't share. So you don't necessarily have that support. But there is power in that. There is power in someone you trust saying, I got you, babe, right? I got your back. Yeah. So the next question becomes, what do we tell the other other person once we've decided to date? Mm, it's hard. I mean, that brings up a whole different conversation and one that can also be really intimidating oh yeah because opening up to some about what happened to you can be just as traumatic right just as traumatic as the assault itself because we fear their judgment mm -hmm. right we fear their response we fear their reactions and so it's not something that is shared lightly at all well said yeah right absolutely it's kind of um I think when you when I think when you start dating and you're you feel that trust when you feel comfortable enough to even bring up that subject I mean imagine having to do that so you want to feel super comfortable then you know what I think people you could you can broach that subject by writing a script about it so just a little quick planned message or blurb that's going to help you be prepared for the moment. And it can help you be prepared for their reactions because you can then visualize, but what if they say this? What if they say that? You know, sort of thing. So a little script might go something like this. Okay. I have something to tell you about something that happened to me in my past, right? It was something that was very hard and it totally changed my life. It was very hard on me and it took me down for a little bit. Um, um, I had to work extremely hard on healing from it. And I feel like I am ready to share this with you. I survived blank, blank, blank. You put in there what it is you survived and then explain it as little as you want to or as much as you want to you sure don't have to give them all the details you can just say i survived sexual assault when i was three i survived sexual assault when i was 12 i survived being raped at 16 you know whatever whatever you want to say to them and then continue with i am telling you this because i need to be able to share my experiences with you you are important to me and I need you to know that there might be certain boundaries 
that I have to have in place about different activities or about some places on my body that I'm just not comfortable with touch yet. And I mean, that's respectful, right? And it's important to note that you are calling the shots in this, right? Saying that as much or as little as you want. Yeah. So should survivors disclose everything about their assault? Like, how much information should they be given? You know, I think that's going to depend on the situation, right? It's going to depend on the person themselves. It's go at your own pace. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to disclose anything that you don't want. I don't necessarily think that you need to disclose all all the details, right? If you don't want to, for sure. That's... There might be some things that are just better left unsaid. But having said that, there is some power in being able to talk about it and not get triggered, right? The more you talk about it, the more you share, it seems to kind of release that intensity. It releases that trigger. Another thing that's really important is asking the other person if they have any boundaries, right? That might help ease into the conversation too. Oh yeah, for sure. That's a good idea. So don't feel like you have to apologize though, you guys. Remember, it's not your fault. Don't make it your fault. Don't say, I'm sorry, I have to tell you this. I'm sorry. You know. What are you apologizing for? Right. It's not your right. fault. Stand in your power and stand in mm-hmm. your boundaries. Mm-hmm. Even the most loving relationships can have moments that trigger memories and feelings. And listen, that's okay. It's your story. Yeah. It's, it's part of who you are, right? And you can't bury it. Having that conversation, it just creates that awareness for the new partner should a trigger happen, right? They're going to understand that it's not them specifically causing the upset or the reaction, right? You know, um, they may come up and rub against you from the back the same way your assaulter did. And I mean, your first instinct is that elbow to the stomach, right? Yep. And it's not because it's... It's not because of them personally. It's because that's your condition to react that way because you know that chances are something else is coming after that. So, you know, if if you're in the dating world, you're probably going to come across someone who has been sexually assaulted, right? With one in three girls being assaulted. Again, that's the reported cases. One in five boys being assaulted. Again, those are the reported cases. You know, so how do you, how do you make sense of that? If you've never been sexually assaulted before, mm-hmm. how do you make sense of what they're trying to tell you? And not to mention, how do you maneuver around dating someone who's been assaulted? How do you react in a way that helps them when they've disclosed to you, if mm-hmm. they disclose mm-hmm. to you? I mean, it wasn't easy for them to tell you. So that's now sure. what? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So if, if you're, if the person you're dating tells you something like this what's the first thing you should do believe Believe them them, right gee you need to believe them right maybe it's hard for you to fathom the kind of trauma they went through but that doesn't mean it's not possible maybe you know if if they disclose who the person was maybe you know that person and you can't even imagine that that person would be capable of of that, right? You know what? It is possible that that happened to them, right? And they need that validation that their experience is believed and that it's respected. And I think what you could do is, you know, ask them what, how can you help them? 
Right. What do you what, need? What do you need? What do you need from me? Yep. And respect their boundaries. You know, like, please don't touch me that way. Please don't make that noise with your tongue that way. Right? It's kind and it's respectful to accept their boundaries. Move slowly. Having patience, having understanding, being kind, those are all key. Those are going to make it easier for everybody. Right? And you also need to understand that getting back to dating is a very scary and emotional time, right? And that they need to build a certain trust with you. And listen, that's going to take some time. Yeah. Maybe a boundary is that you only date in public places to start. Maybe we go to McDonald's for coffee to begin with. Right. They may want to drive themselves to the date. Mm. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't want to be in a vehicle with somebody they've never met before. They've only met a handful of times. Maybe their assault happened in a vehicle. Exactly. They may not want any physical touching to start. And that's okay. That is a lot of people okay. are like that, whether they've been assaulted or yeah. not are like that, yeah. right? So again, accept those boundaries. Don't beat them up for them or make them feel bad about their mm. boundaries. Just be gentle and be respectful and listen to what they're willing to share with you. Yeah. Yeah. That is so key. You know, respect their nose. Yeah. You know, like... Maybe it was a yes yesterday, we could do this, but today it's a no. You have to respect when they say no. You have to respect their need for consent. Is it okay if I touch you here? We teach consent to our preschoolers, right? So It's not a hard concept. It's not a hard concept. Can I touch you here? Is this okay? Can I hold your hand? Can I hold your hand? Right? They... One of the things I've noticed with people who have been sexually assaulted is that they need to know that they have control. So allow them that. Yes. Right? Let them know that you also appreciate their minds, right? Their personalities, um, their characteristics, that you are not just with them for their bodies because they tend to feel like, you know, they tend to feel like they're, being used for their bodies when they were being sexually assaulted. So we need to show them that mm, you're not just with them just for their bodies, right? That every aspect about them matters. But having said that, you also don't want to be a doormat for them either, right? Like you also have to respect your own boundaries as well when you're in a relationship. Okay. I just wanted to put that out there. So, you know, survivors may believe especially if they were sexually abused as children, that affection is almost always followed by demands on them, Hmm. sexual demands, Hmm. right? That might be just be what their experience is. And it's, they got to make sense of it. So you got to move slowly. And they also are going to feel like they can't trust anyone. No, I think that kind of goes without saying, especially those who are supposed to love you and protect you. Because again, most cases of sexual violence are committed by By people. people. We know. Yeah, that's right. They may not want to be naked in front of you. <laughs> well, that's right. Right? Right? It's not always because they're modest. It may be because they're afraid of what might happen. That's right. Being naked could be a trigger in itself. Yeah. Survivors may feel powerless and that they don't have control over their bodies. Can you imagine? And that that makes them feel like they're being threatened. Mm-hmm. Listen, if we're not in control is what they're thinking, then we are in danger. Yeah, something bad's going to happen. You know, the other thing that people who have experienced sexual assault, something they do is put themselves last, right? 
on their totem pole of priorities, I guess you could call it that, right? They put their needs way down at the bottom. Um, they might not even exist on their priority list at all either. Um, they, I think that they tend to put other people ahead of themselves because I think on some level they actually feel that they don't matter to anyone. It's so sad. It's really sad. Um, because so often it's because that it was people they knew who hurt them and they didn't matter enough for those people to protect them. So they have this feeling of not being worthy enough, not being important enough, right? So we need to allow them their voice. We need to listen to them. We need to allow their choices. We need to let survivors know that they have control and that we respect those, that control. We respect that boundary, right? We respect their triggers. Mm. Because those triggers are real, right? So we need to respect those triggers, whether it's a word or a certain way that you touch them, like we said. Because anything can trigger them. It might be a scene in a movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, good one. Definitely. It could be the words to a song. Maybe a certain song was playing um, when they were being assaulted. Maybe the assaulter said a certain word over and over and over again. Maybe they smelled a certain way. You know, it, who knows what the trigger could be? So we just need, we just need to be aware of them, um, because it helps, it helps to create that bond. Right? And listen, they're they're not looking for someone to save them. So you, you know, they're yeah. not looking for someone to save them. So you don't have to be that. They don't require a white knight Mm-mm. to come and rescue them. No, I'm going to go beat the crap out of that guy or, right. you know, or I'm going to meet him in a dark alley or her or whatever, right? right? Like, we, you don't need that. No. But what they do require is respect and compassion mm-hmm. and someone to believe them mm-hmm. and to understand that they are not their trauma. Once again. It does not define them. It's just a part of them. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. And they are okay. You know, they're not some, they're not some alien or some diseased, awful, low life person for that having happened to them, right? Because again, it's never their fault. So communication is key. I mean, in any relationship, whether one partner has been sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. or not, communication is the key, right? Because it ensures that both partners are on the same page. And it helps avoid unnecessary confusion and discomfort and annoyances. So if you're touching this person a certain way and they keep pulling back, you're going to think it's you. Right. But it, it has nothing to do with you for the most part. Right. Right. So that's why that communication is key. And we can't force, we can't force our agenda on them. You can't tell them how they should be acting or feeling. You can't say, oh, you need to do this and this and this, and this is what you should do. And if it was me, I'd do this and blah, 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 because everybody reacts in a different way. So don't force your agenda and the way you think that they should be healing, right? And also check in with them often. How's it going? You know, is there anything I can do? What do you need? Communicate. It's such a simple little word, but communicate. Communicate. 
and celebrate their little wins. Recognize their steps forward because recovery, you guys, it takes many steps and there's going to be big ones and there's going to be little ones. And sometimes maybe there's even going to be backwards ones. And that too is okay. Mm -hmm. So when, for example, is, you know, I know of a woman who was assaulted over and over again by someone who was supposed to protect her and didn't. And they wore... um, Spice. What's that? Cologne? Old Spice. Old Spice cologne. Mm -hmm. And every time she smelled that cologne... That was the trigger. That was a trigger for her. Huge trigger. Interesting. Until... So she did a lot of work. Like we're talking a lot of deep healing work that she did. And then she was in a cab and the cabbie was wearing a cologne. And she was like, oh, that smells so good. What is that? And he said old spice and she started to laugh because for the first time in years old spice did not trigger her it actually smelled good so she knew that she was healing right what a great example for a win that's a win it's a huge win so you want to celebrate those wins wow awesome can people ever recover from sexual assault or violence yes of course of course they can but it does take time right it takes the right support Sometimes it takes tremendous amounts of courage and strength. And so, again, if you're someone who is dating someone who has been sexually assaulted, just don't take it personally. Don't take it personally if they need more time to feel comfortable with intimacy. Don't take it personally if they need more time to even talk about it. Right? Because talking about it brings it up again, too. So they're not always want to talk about it over and over again, right? They probably just need to talk about it for a few minutes. Not bury it down so deep and have it, again, like I would said before, mm-hmm. manifest in some ways as sickness or anxiety or something, right? But chances are they're not going to want to talk about it all the time. And listen, it, it may be uncomfortable to hear about and to talk mm. about it, but trust me, it's not nearly as uncomfortable as going through it. And maybe you need to remind yourself as the partner of somebody who's been assaulted. Maybe you need that reminder that, listen, talking about this with my partner does make me feel uncomfortable, but it's not nearly as comfortable as what they went through. Right. You might feel inadequate to handle the situation, but just listen and ask what they need. Of course, we come back to that communication. Just communicate. Communicate. It's just like our commercial on the radio, right? Good one. That you think hearing the name Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, you think that's hard to hear, right? Imagine going through it. Imagine going through it. Yeah. Right? It's a tough subject. Yes, it is. And, but with the frequency of abuse and violence that's out there, you know, I think this topic needs to be talked about over and over again to let people know that there is a road to healing. To let people know that dating someone who has been sexually assaulted is not awful and horrific, right? And that you can go on to build a wonderful and respectful and a beautiful relationship after something like this has happened. It's possible. Of course. Right? It's possible. And it's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Michelle. That was that was longer than our usual ones, but for good reason. Yeah. For very good reason. Right. So I think before we 
um, end this episode. I think you just wanted to bring up a little bit of information about our fundraiser. Yes. So, of course, with COVID, we're not fundraising the ways that we usually, you know, some, some often we'll do big gatherings, silent auctions, you know, that sort of thing. Last year was recycled wedding. That didn't happen. So we're doing a fundraiser for our 40th anniversary, which is actually now 41 because COVID stole our <laughs> birthday last year. Yes. And so we have... Um, a fundraiser going on in March and it is pay $40 or donate $40 and receive one of our coveted Basak mugs. Handmade. Handmade. By Basak staff. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yes, they're just simple and they say Basak and when we were established because it is our 40th, 41st <laughs> anniversary. But it's just a fun way to raise a little bit of money to help us out so that we can keep our jobs. That's right. And yeah, it's going on through the month of March. So donate $40 and get a mug. Yeah. Keep an eye out on our Facebook page or Instagram page or our website for more information. Mm -hmm. And with that, you guys, that is the end of episode seven. Thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing. Please do not forget to rate, subscribe and review. Those reviews really help us out. Yes, they do. <laughs> the feedback's been fun. So I really like that. The feedback has been awesome and it's greatly appreciated as always. So until next time, episode eight. Cheers. See you guys.